everything I learned from the, my past of working with my hands and and then trying to get away from that and, and doing a lot of intellectual work when I was working in a laboratory for a while. And then I, why I left the laboratory was, my God, I've got to get back in the world. Like, should I grow food? Should I be a farmer? Like, what should I do? And, and that's acupuncture is like, man, you get to do mental work. But if you want to kind of like in your day job when you're treating patients, you know, make it more of a trade. I'm Michael Max. And this is Geological. One of the curious blessings of COVID and the now two years of profound change in our social environment is that I've gotten a clearer glimpse of my own fear, hatred, envy, and greed. These all-too-human emotions aren't invited into polite society or conversation, and I usually reserve these for my projection onto others with whom I have a bad opinion of. They are potent fuel for creating a kind of distance that takes me away from these uncomfortable feelings and allows me to paint those I dislike with an easy acrimony. It is uncomfortably humbling to watch with a sense of smug satisfaction my hatred emerge through sarcasm and belittling when I strawman the perspectives of those I take pleasure in disliking. I let myself off the hook of attending to the unripened, underdeveloped parts of myself by demeaning or belittling the achievement of others using envy. This one is particularly toxic as it has me standing up with excuses for my own lack of capacity, laziness, or lack of skill. Where I should be taking a lesson, instead, I'm squandering an opportunity and turning a blind eye to my own complicity in the matter. It's easy to look out into the world and see the poisonous damage of greed. It's harder to look within where I find an insatiable desire for more of what I like that has me on a constant edge of discontent, like a carrot in front of a donkey, just a little further to get more, just a little more to be better. I find it hard to ignore the constant gnaw of dissatisfaction with the current moment, the way I easily turn my attention toward what is lacking rather than attend to what's actually present. The problem with greed is that I fail to recognize the resources already at hand and instead focus on the lack. Perhaps this is the worst of sins, as it so easily in turn gives rise to hatred and envy. No wonder wrath, envy, and greed are counted among the seven deadly sins. They all take us away from a more naked and undefended engagement with the transformative powers of life. They are an armoring that hardens the heart, limits the vision, and dulls the mind. And here's the biggest problem. Hatred, envy, and greed, they feel good. Hatred can bring up a righteous anger that gives the illusion of creating progress in the world and changing it for the better. Envy creates a sense of superiority that hides our faults from ourselves, and greed dulls the perception of the suffering of others. 
The gift of isolation from COVID, along with the acrimonious culture wars, have not made me a better person, but instead revealed the weaknesses and limitations that I mistakenly had taken as virtues. It's unsettling to say the least, but then liberation usually entails stepping into a greater sense of responsibility, and it's disorienting and uncomfortable to no longer be able to lean on my limitations and call them a strength. How about you? As we enter the spring of the tiger year, what did you believe two years ago that today you no longer believe? How are you different in ways that you could not have foreseen? And more importantly, do you spend more of your time standing against what you hate or standing up for what you love? I shouldn't be too surprised that things rarely work out the way I imagined they would. I'm often wrong, wrong enough that at times I wonder how it is that I'm living the life that I am and not out in the street in rags. I suspect I'm often wrong because I have an idea and I so very much want it to be right. And that in turn blinds me to the resources and opportunities that might be right in front of me. Being a human living in the middle of the influences of heaven and earth, it's no easy endeavor. Our hearts get broken, our dreams at times smashed, and yet, as Lillian Bridges would say, we have a Ming, we have a golden path that's ours to unfold and to follow. In today's conversation with Jessica Bear, we discuss the circuitous path that brought her to Chinese medicine school what she is discovering in the process of learning medicine, and how all that might influence her future. Like many of us, medicine was not something that we aspired to, but in time, it caught our attention. I always enjoy hearing about how people came around to Chinese medicine as a second or third career, and how their previous experience informs their learning and work as practitioners. I especially love talking to students because even though I like to think of myself as a lifelong learner, that engaged sense of inquiry sometimes takes a back seat to the day-to-day slog of running a business. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine And the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. 
Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS, text, or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Jessica as we talk about the curious roads traveled that bring us to this present moment. Let's get into it. Jessica Bear, welcome to Geological. Ah, thank you so much, Michael Max. Well, I'm the one that should be thanking you. It's been, I think, a couple of months ago, I received in my email, an email, and attached to it was a sound file. And in that sound file was you sending me what normally people would put into an email, but you just decided that you would send me a sound file and just say hello and say some nice things about the podcast. And it was so sweet. I'm a podcast dude. I'm like a pirate radio dude. And uh, to get a little voice gram was really fun. Cool. What inspired you? That's how I roll over the pandemic. When we were locked down at, at school, like, okay, everyone go home. We're going to do everything online. I didn't want to start texting all my my inner circle of friends like maniacs i didn't want to i just don't have a 
great relationship with my phone in terms of I don't like when it bosses me around. So like mm. if I can just hold it and leave an audio and I can really talk off the cuff about anything I wanted to, I knew that whoever was on the other end, if they were willing to listen, because some friends aren't, they're like, I'm not going to listen to two minutes worth of your audio. I'm like, okay. But most people, including family, have really liked it because I think that it's more fulfilling. They can hear your voice. They can remember what you look like. They can hear your goofy voice, your laughter, whatever's happening in the moment is there in the audio. I'm a big, big fan of sound and audio. So that's kind of what inspired it. And I listened to one of your podcasts. I can't even remember which one it was at this point. I just remember saying, I've got to thank him. I have got to contact Michael Max and just see if, if he'll listen to a little blurb about, and then it just became yada, yada, yada between us. And so here we are. Yeah. Some messages back and forth. So it reminds me of voicemails that I used to leave with certain friends. This is back in the 90s. We didn't have text. Nope. (laughs) Many of us didn't even have cell phones. I remember getting a cell phone like early mid 90s because I was working in high tech and I was like, woo, look at me. I've got a Nokia cell phone. I, you know, it's really hot shit. But back then you just had voicemail if you're going to leave a message for somebody. And I had some very creative friends that would just leave hilarious (laughs) diatribes or just like, oh my God, Mr. McKenzie, what is in your mind? It was really fun. And so receiving that from you reminded me of, oh yeah, this is what friends do. They grab a slice of life. They hear your voice. They hear the expression. They hear whatever's going on in the background. There's a moment of connection that comes through voice. You can't get in text. Agreed completely, 100%. Yeah. So that was really sweet. And that led to us like wanting to sit down. Let's actually have a conversation synchronous instead of asynchronous. Right on. Yeah. So you're in acupuncture school. (laughs) I'm in my fourth year. Holy moly. And it's not your first career. No. You look at a quilt and it's and you see all the mismatched weird color textures and and then somehow at a distance it's like an impressionist painting somehow it kind of looks pretty you don't you don't want to go up close and look at all the loving work that went into it but somehow it makes sense as a tapestry do you know what I mean Yes yes absolutely there is from a distance it hangs together that's my life. And up close, it's a kind of a clusterfuck. Oh, I, I went to college and then I got a job and then I did this thing and then I advanced and went. It is not like that. No. I went to college and dropped out. Yeah. And I didn't even start college right after high school. I just went, I moved out. I needed to run away. Uh huh. Where did you run from and where did you run to? Yeah. So I was living in this town about an hour north of Philly and in the Lehigh Valley. It's a beautiful place, actually. It's not small anymore. And I would say pretty rural. My step family, who's my family, for a long, long time had a farm. And so many of my days, summers, and just my life was wrapped around hunting season and then obtaining the kill and then cleaning it and then growing vegetables and preparing those vegetables and it was a very kind of a rugged 
Anyway, by the time I graduated high school, I was an okay student. I definitely did a lot better in high school than junior high, but the school district I went to, I was very fortunate. It was a very good school district. It was just because the way the cookie crumbled with the Mm. district lines, but I went to like one of the best school districts in the country from what we were told with ratings and all that crap. And here you are, you're a farm girl. Oh, yeah. You're an actual like shit on your boots farm girl. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really lucky to go to this school, but 99.9% of the students were prepared to go to college. Their parents Mm. did all the things. Mine didn't. And anyway, I left. I just, I went to the city right outside of our community to just get an apartment, start working. And then I got involved in music, not because I'm a musician, but I got involved with music really quickly in a very like, I'm not going to make a living from it, but it just became my life for about 10 years. I'm not making a living, but it became my life. Oh yeah. So there's the thread that of passion that weaves your uh, quilt together, huh? I think so. Mm. Audio, like my grandfather was a, my dad's side was a jazz musician until the day he died. And I did radio commercials with him when I was five. Like that was the earliest I was recording my voice for radio and watching him play at jazz clubs as a very, very small child, not a seedy place. It was pretty, pretty safe, pretty white. I mean, in terms of very sterile. Mm. There weren't, there weren't a lot of cigars and it was just very safe because of the community that he played to generally. Anyway, I grew up with sound, grew up with music. And so going into music, I worked at a record store for a really long time. And then I DJed as a volunteer at our local radio station. I amassed a huge record collection over time, not as big as some of my friends, but a huge record collection. And then I got involved with taking pictures for record labels and live bands that came through. I mean, that, that really was my life for a really long time. What year is this? What years are these? 91 through 2000, basically. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I relocated, eventually went to college. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What got you involved in acupuncture school? I'd love to be able to say it was a treatment that changed my life, but my story is kind of weird. I did go to acupuncture for some health challenges I was having that were fairly serious, um, involving a sense organ. And I went and tried acupuncture because I had already been to a couple physicians and they all gave me a pretty bleak prognosis. And quite honestly, Michael, it freaked me out mm-hmm. because my livelihood depended. It was my eyes. Yeah. You're a photographer. What are you going to do without your eyes? I wasn't photographing at that time. Mm-hmm. I was working here in Texas at a military research center doing scientific research. Ugh, weird story. But anyway, that was another 10-year stint. Anyway, I really needed my eyes for my job. And I had this weird eye thing. And so I went to acupuncture because I didn't have success with traditional modality. I mean, I went to a research university with eye specialists and everything. It was really like kind of stressful and crazy. Went to acupuncture 
And a renowned clinic down here had no success at all. But what I do remember very distinctly was feeling really good Mm -hmm. after my appointments. And so I just started, I transitioned to a community acupuncture place just to get acupuncture. And I ended up volunteering there as well. And I'll pause there because that's just kind of a big chunk. Because then years later, I ended up enrolling (laughs) in acupuncture school, despite the fact that it didn't help me with the problem that I was seeking a solution for. But it did something else. It was something else that got your attention with it. Completely. I found out I'm very needle friendly and not needle sensitive really, but Mm. I was already a yogi of multi-decades by the time I tried acupuncture. So I already was familiar with other ways of thinking about energy, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. They didn't call it chi, they call it prana in yoga, Ayurvedic science. So I already knew something was up with that. I already knew that I watched animals die before my eyes. And I also had volunteered at hospice for a little while. I saw people die before my eyes too. And I I just knew when you're on the table, the needles are playing with that energy, not the energy of death. I don't mean it like that. No, 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 no. But what I hear you saying, that essential vitality (laughs) that is in living things, Mm. you have personal experience with it, right? Growing up on the farm, hunting, slaughtering critters, Mm -hmm. harvesting vegetables, we often talk about Chinese medicine as being part of the cycle of life and the cycle of nature and isn't that beautiful. It's poetic. It's also dirty and bloody and gross. Yeah, it's not pretty at all. The whole thing. And so knew that stuff in your bones. I mean, you, mm-hmm. it's not an idea for you. It's not a concept. It's an actual embodied experience. So that when you experience a needle or you're working with a needle and you're with somebody and you're present with them, something in you attunes to it. Oh, man. Michael, I can't wait to get out and practice. I know that's a lot easier said than done, but I'm really looking forward because this is the first time I've done something in a sustained fashion. Like you're in the clinic, you're going to the clinic all the time. Anyone comes to the door, you, you don't know what you're getting. You can't select your patients. And I knew this was a, a really good decision for me because once I started putting my putting a needle on a person and then being on my feet and running around and trying to cross T's and dot I's while I'm trying to like tune in with somebody and that, that shift that literal shift with the at the clinic, I had gained energy when I left, which is not how I feel after our three-hour classes or the intellectual component, which is what I thought I'd be really into because I, I love books. I'm a bookworm. I, I learned that way because that's what was afforded me as a kid. If you didn't read, you were kind of screwed. Like you're never going to be smart kid unless you read. So like- Well, reading is magical. Yeah, it is. Reading is just outright magical because- you get access to the thoughts of other people. Mm-hmm. You get access to the experience of other people. I don't know how anyone can go through this life without reading because reading forces, probably because of my age, I'm dating myself here. Reading forces you to slow down a little bit, to pay attention to somebody else, 
to consider the words. You can pause. You can go at your own pace. You can like read a paragraph and go, what the hell was that? You know, then you read it five times. <laughs> then you read it five times and maybe you go, oh, so sublime where you go, I got no idea what they're talking about. I'm just going to go on. I'll, maybe I'll catch it later. I think reading is something magical, really. And, and when I think about how knowledge and information has been passed along in culture, it's through art. Mm -hmm. It's through the written word. All great cultures have had writing, and they've chronicled the good stuff. They passed it down. Especially our medicine that I'm studying. Whoa. Mm -hmm. I don't have access to Hippocrates. I think the practice part, just kind of finishing that thought, I just knew it was a good decision, this medicine, because when i putting needles in people, I feel something and I, I really am trying to avoid sounding obtuse about it, but there's some sense of vitality that I'm getting, not from the needle, but from them directly. And I kind of, yes, that's right. I feel it right when they come to the door, but I was sensing that as a child. And then when I worked in retail, like so many people have done, you, you really get in tune with people. I would have either been a priest, a bartender, or a salesperson, which is what I was really successful at, because you read people, it's not the same as, oh, I got your number, I have you figured out. It was just energetically knowing how to shift myself so this person can lower their guard as soon as possible. I would say if anyone, that's the only magical power I have, I think, and it's that one. I want to come back to that in a moment. Sure. I just want to stick a pin in it right now. Yeah. Because I want to circle back to something you said about being in clinic. Mm. And you're doing the needles, and your attention is focused in a certain way, and then you're doing all the cross the T's and dot the I's, and that, that takes a different part of your attention. But what you said is at the end of the day, you had more energy. I do. Okay. I think this is really important because it's easy to be depleted in this line of work, especially if we're constantly giving, 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 giving. Right. And many of us think we need to like give a hell of a lot or we're not doing our job. We end up exhausted. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I have learned over the years, this is experience painfully gained by screwing myself up, mm -hmm. was putting out more energy than I was receiving back. Now, I'm not saying that patients need to sustain me and I need to like pull energy from them. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when there is a balance and a flow of the chi going equally in both directions, and that includes the money that we receive for our services, that includes the respect that we give our patients and they give to us. There's a lot of things that go into that exchange. When the exchange is there, we are nourished. And again, I'm not saying we should try to get that from our patients, but we can use it as a kind of a barometer Oh, right on. To know where, if we're being leaky or if we got good boundaries. Obviously, when I'm in clinic, I work with other interns and I could kind of watch the drainage happening. Like there's some people that are just getting really drained and drained and drained and drained. And I see myself in them when I was working what I call full contact retail. I mean, it was just like 400 to 700 people. I know, barging through that door every day in a single not chain really nice photography store, only one of its kind in the whole country that I'm aware of. 
I went through that, a giving, overgiving, not getting what I needed from that transaction in order to carry on to the next transaction. And I was, we were all depleted. And I see that in my, my intern peers, some of them, and some of them, I see that they're actually, they kind of get it. They kind of get like, I can, I should do the 80, 20 as I remember we were talking about, Mm. but I also hear a lot of getting into clinic directly with school. You know, you might do three different modalities in one session with somebody, but if you know that you're doing it because of the practice, that's where I'm at as a fourth year because I'm getting repeat patients every week. I have people that just come in all the time now and it's, I have no idea why we just kind of laugh a lot and I put some needles in, but really, truly I stopped doing three or four different things in one session. And I stopped everything explodes in your mind when you're with a patient. Like I really want to talk to them about dietary therapy. They really could use some herbs, blah, 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 blah. And now I just, I can feel myself getting drained just thinking that way because I'm like, there's a human being in front of me and I haven't even put a needle in yet. And my mind is already exploding with all these options. And I, and now I just say to myself, if you're going to do one of those things, do it well mm-hmm. and they'll feel it. They will feel it or not. And they'll tell me, and I, I always ask my patients, will you please just let me know? If any of that just felt just not great or wasn't what you were hoping for, you got to tell me. I can stop anything. None of this is permanent. I can take something out. I can flip you over. I don't care. Let's just be clear. You know, I want you to get a quality treatment, but I have stopped doing a bunch of different things. Well, more is not better. Mm-hmm. But in school, you think it is like there's like this, like, do all this. It's very young down here. We're very, this school is very young. So I think that's true in many schools. Not our school. I mean, particularly, I mean, our, our really? cohort is very young. This cohort that we're in, that's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. I know for myself, I don't do it so much these days, but I certainly have. When I don't quite feel like I've got a handle on what's going on, I'll throw more whatever at it, hoping something will stick. What I didn't know then that I know now is any interaction that we have with people, even if we're doing a tonifying needle, it still is asking the body to do something. It's not that it's taking something away. Maybe you could say it's taking something. Maybe it is, right? Maybe it is. It's asking the body to do something. So if you're asking the body to do too many things, the body at some point is going to go, all right, like, what do you want me to do? You've given me six different messages. I mean, think about relationships you've had where you get mixed signals from someone. Sure. Like, what am I supposed to believe? You really love me or you've got your back turned to me? And uh, Michael, this has been a theme I've been hearing you talk about a lot. And at a naivete completely, may I ask you a question about that? Yeah, yeah. So why is it that, this is again my impression as a student, I have not been out, I haven't been to China, like, why is it, it seems like with certain styles of acupuncture, 30 needles at one time is just the norm. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. 
Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Okay, so I think it has to do with the style of acupuncture. For example, some Japanese styles of acupuncture. I studied a bit of that when I was in school. And that's what they do. That's the way they work. They're very mm-hmm. thin needles and they're super shallow if they even insert it at all. Right. And, and within the rubric of how they're working and how they're attending to the body and the pulse and the luster in the face and the feel of the moisture on the skin, they're, they're tracking things as they go. And that's how that method works. Now, if you take that and go, well, they use 30 needles and I'm going to use this other thing and I'll just use 30 needles there too. You can't take a method. I've heard people tell me this and I believe it's true at this point. You can't take a method and like try to shoehorn it into something else. Right. You have to take that method. You have to learn that method. You have to know how that method works from the inside And after you understand how it works and you kind of grok the essence of it, you might be able to take aspects of it and attach it to something else that you understand very well. But you can only do that after you understand it well. Your grandfather, the jazz musician, (laughs) he couldn't get up and just play notes willy-nilly. He had to know where to put the damn notes. Oh, sure. Right? He had to know the tempo and the beat and the feeling in the room and everything else. That was going on. Sure. I mean, it just seems to be the zeitgeist at our school that maybe it's the region where many of our teachers came from. We have some pretty, I feel like they're pretty esteemed teachers. When I read their bio, I was like, geez, that's a lot of school. They started a school and they came from this amazing school in China. I was like, how can this be with one human being? But not all of them, but a lot of their style is like, they use, they're Chinese and they use a lot of needles. And they're not inappropriate, not in terms of the way, if you know what the needle points are, the energetics, unfortunately for me, it's textbook at this point, but it makes sense to me, but it definitely is not a, we learn theory about the four needle Korean, we learn all that theory, we get tested on it a little bit. Yeah, but you don't know it, you can't make it work, can you? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I haven't used four needles in a patient ever. Ever. I'm four. I'm like, four? Oh. Except for the scalp stuff. I like scalp acupuncture a lot. And I'm taking it upon myself to learn more about that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, four needles just seems anathema right now. But that's, you know, I'm a student. I'm cool with that. I'll be a student for life. It's all right. Well, I can tell you from my experience with the four needles in the Sa'am system, if you've got the diagnostics to back up how you're using those four needles, 
it's got firepower. I believe you. I think I eat part of my audio to you was I need a psalm book. Somebody write Toby, please, if you hear me. We're working on it. It's, Sweet. Uh, yeah, we're working on it. Things take time. Of course they do. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. But, you know, back to what you were just saying with, you know, some teachers use lots of needles. They got heavy stimulation. Some of it is how people are trained and who they are. Right. So when I was in China, I didn't see any light-handed needling. Oh, wow. No, I didn't see any light-handed needling. Okay. And my experience with working with Chinese people, if I don't get massive chi on any needle, on every needle, yeah, 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 yeah. they don't think I know what I'm doing. I believe that, yeah. So in my clinical practice, the very few Chinese people that will come see me, because they usually don't come see us honky guys. Right. I make sure that I get chi. There's only one Chinese patient that I had where I could just kind of do whatever I wanted and, and she was fine with it. But most people expect to get that sensation. And some of that's cultural. Some of that's what, what people have been told. Oh, I'm sure. In some ways, it's a little bit like sales. Sure. You have to know who's on your table. And so if somebody's looking to have strong sensation. Yeah. I'm going to deliver that because it will be helpful for them. They'll feel like they're being attended to. Right. And they know their body. I have to say, man, practice is such a great teacher. My partner jumps off the table if I don't do the most delicate, very rapid, skillful insertion and just don't even touch the needles at all. Just don't look at them. Don't touch them. I mean, really, really sensitive. And then I have a patient who's 90 years old in a wheelchair, super frail, and has cancer. And we're, of course, we're just treating pain. Man, I put needles in her, so frail. And she looks at me like, you better do something with that needle. I can just see it in her eyes when I, when I just jiggle the handle a little bit, you know? <laughs> You're just going to let that thing sit there? Come on, girl. I just tickle the handle a little bit and she's like, okay, now you're done. And it's her experience with acupuncture. She's like, don't you just put that thing in there and walk away? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Give me some chi, babe. Yeah, that's cool. It's like, all right. So this comes back to sales a little bit. I want to circle back to this because... It's my favorite thing. Wonderful. So I want to know more about why you love it in a moment. I have had bad opinions about sales for a long time, even though my father made his living as a salesman. That's right. He did. He did. My dad made a good living as a salesman, and I wish I had his chutzpah, <laughs> but I don't. Yeah. My dad is a character. He's in almost 90 now, and his idea of a good day was to walk into a place that his competitor sold to, walk out with an order. <laughs> that was his idea of fun. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my God, what if they say no to me? When he was like, yeah, right. You're going to try to say no. No, not happening. No one's saying no to me. I should talk to him more about sales, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, one of the things that I find happening for me in clinic a lot is I feel like I have to help sell people on themselves. That's pretty heavy, man that they're constantly negotiating against themselves, that they have these bad opinions about themselves, where there's this trait that they have, there's something essential about them, and they're on bad terms with it. I look at it and go, that's a superpower. How do you know that? 
Give me an example. So there's a person that I saw works at a nonprofit, runs the nonprofit, doing good things for the earth. We'll just leave it at that. Very dedicated. Loves their work. And good at it. They're smart. Right? This is a really, really smart person and dedicated. And in some ways frustrated because they didn't have the relationship that they wanted, the person that they were actually attracted to was already in a relationship and mm. all kinds of different things like that. Mm. And at one point, something kind of clicks. And I say to this person, well, you get to use your intellect. You get to use your passion. You've got this job that lets you be the person you want to be, doing good work in the world. And you have this relationship that doesn't tax you and ask too much of you so that you can do the thing that you love to do. Mm-hmm. Don't you just have the perfect life? Uh-oh. I can't believe I said that, but I said that. <laughs> I'm projecting there a little bit. <laughs> And this person's eyes got wide and they looked at me like, how dare you? And then said, that's right, I do. I didn't see it. This is perfect. I don't want someone full time. (laughs) Dinner dates would be fine. No, I don't give you my phone number until we've dinner dated 12 times. (laughs) And I've had patients who talk about their, they talk about how they're, they're so detail oriented and they're driving themselves crazy with it. Oh, you mean like monkey mind? That's not the same thing as being detailed. No, 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 no. It, it's more like they're very good at planning things. They're like a general. They're like a general. They're like a wood dominant element. Mm, I, wonder who, I wonder who that could be. They're a wood dominant, and they've got some good earth energy because they're looking to care for people. Oh, I But that brings them a lot of trouble in their life because they're always trying to manage this, and they're always trying to manage that. Oh. And so this part of them that's kind of a superpower, I'm really good at planning, right? and I'm kind of dominant, it brings them some trouble in their life. Oh, boy, I'm going there, Michael. It sounds like, like female syndrome, like nurturing, the all the messages we get from being female from a very young age is like, we have to constantly, we're tuned into everyone around us. And this is obviously a generalization, but it's quite obvious to me as a female and having grown up in a almost unconventional, my mother's very unconventional, but even still, she has those conventions and expectations upon her unconsciously. But I think it goes back to that practice you were talking about in your clinic experience of give someone your really good 20, 30% and just see how that works. Because if you try to be something or be everything to one person in that sales relationship or in the clinical relationship or in your spousal relationship, you just lose yourself. I mean, the big buzzword these days is boundaries, mm. but those are not hard and fixed. So if you just Give, 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 and give, and give, and give, and give. Like, well, you're filling a hole, I guess. I mean, I don't want to get into deep psychology with this stuff, but I I find that that informs my life. Like, okay, what are my motives here? 
You have to step back and ask yourself that. You got to be able to check in with your energy. That's a really powerful question. How do you feel about yourself when you're doing this? Or how do you don't think about it? I tell one of my friends, stop thinking so much and start feeling how you feel when you're doing the thing that you're talking about. Like, how do you feel? Do you feel like you need to take a nap? Do you feel like you're energized? Do you, or do you get tired of hearing yourself analyzing like crazy all the time? But you were talking about your patient who, how do you, you brought up this general topic in the beginning of this kind of story arc here. Uh, the patient says something about themselves. And that example you gave of the lady or the individual who was the gets all the stuff done and has a really great life, but she didn't see it or they didn't see it. How do you, what did that person say that you thought was that they were beating up on themselves or saying bad stuff about themselves? Is that what you were trying to talk about? Yeah. So what I was saying is that Often people have a superpower oh, and they have a bad opinion of their superpower or someone in their family that is close to them has a bad opinion of their superpower. And so they have a bad opinion of their superpower. I'm just going to leave it at this. I'm going to invite all of you listening right now. And, and Jessica, you can do this when you go into clinic. Just keep it as a question. Just watch for it. Listen for it yeah. when you're with people. That when they're going on about something that they're really upset about or they don't like it, you'll hear them talk and smack about a, a certain part of themselves. Oh, yeah. Ask if that might be their superpower. Is there actually something in there that's very, very right about this, but they don't see it? There's a strength that they have, but they don't see it as a strength. They see it as some kind of a deficit. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's very important. It's kind of an adept thing. Like, how adept are you at? I know this is all very interesting, Michael. It's like in the realm of the imagination, like how drilled down and how much have you kind of quashed your imagination and kind of diluted your whole life experience and instead are way too focused on the cultural kind of neuroses at the moment about like, I'm this and I'm that and that's just the way I am or that's the way my family is or that's how my mom was and that's how, and I hear that all the time. I hear it all the time. But I think as human beings, we've had those conversations with ourselves forever anyway. There's nothing new in the times. And you were saying something earlier about, you got friends and they're trying to think this through and you're saying, well, what are you feeling? Just yeah. notice what you feel when that happens. So I just want to say about this superpower thing and, and, and you're asking me for examples it's a little bit hard to grab one because when I'm working with people, I'm not thinking when I'm noticing their superpower. It's just something that I notice. I feel it. Some, there, there's a quality in the room. You're spontaneous too. It's a gut sense that I get and I will test it out with them because I want to make sure this is really true and not just me making shit up. I've got a great imagination. Right on. And I'm really trying to help my patients get to their solution, not that they're going to get my solution. My solution's for me. My job is to get them their solution. And if I can listen closely enough, find out, well, first of all, what's their problem? What might be a solution? People have their own damn solutions. They often have to be listened into it. That makes sense to me mm. from a multi, but the, the things that you don't like to, I'm going to, turn it on ourselves. Like mm. if your closest loved one told you, you really should, or you could, you, you could consider doing X, Y, and Z. Maybe that would be better for you. And you're like that, ah, like you have an automatic, like, I don't want to hear it response. 
And then two weeks later, whatever your time frame is, you look back and think, they were right. I, I could have considered that earlier. I actually do like the way I feel when I do it that way, whatever it might be, right? I like that better. Uh, our own inner critic is mm-hmm. pretty strong. And I think it's stronger these days. I know we've always had an inner critic, but there's something about having these constant, there's a, a lot of mirrors around us. And they're, I'm not going to say they're false mirrors, but like the media, social media, the media train 24 seven and all these things, you have these people around you. We have mirror neurons. I'm really super into neurology on my own. I just love reading about neuroscience, but just understand myself a little bit better actually in some ways and understand others. But we have mirror neurons in our, I think that whole getting back to, I know you think about it and you're analyzing it. I say this to my friend, you're really good at analysis, but this person has massive spleen chi issues, by the way. And I learned through Chinese medicine, like, oh my gosh, that's what happens when you have a person who thinks so much all, through everything. They analyze every decision. Did you like that movie? Yeah, I liked it. It was pretty good. It was a yes. And let me tell you the minutia of every little, and it could have been this way. And if you go on the blog, they'll talk about it this way. Like there's never a, and I've been friends for 10 years with this person. And now I look at them and go, holy shit, this is what overthinking does. It damages your digestion. Oh my God. There it is. For real. Well, it is real. And this is one of the really fun things about Chinese medicine is is we get these ideas and they're kind of cool. It's like, oh, overthinking damages the spleen. Like, all right, whatever. Yeah, right, right. I guess. Right? I mean, when you're in school, you're like, all right, whatever that would look like. I don't know. (laughs) Interesting, huh? Poetic. But like, and I know for myself, I would grab it as a mental construct. And like try to see it in the world. Mm, me too. Me too. That is very different than the experience that you just talked about. Mm. Where you're not trying to see it in the world, it jumps out and grabs you. It's like, there it is. Like, oh, that's a tree, right? You can look at a tree, you know it's a tree. <laughs> oh, that's spleen sheet efficiency from overthinking. There it is. And it's no longer a mental idea. It is an embodied experience. That you get oh my God. at a different level. Totally. I have a patient in the first time I took this patient, the front desk staff came into my room or our treatment room and closed the door behind them and said, this patient is belligerent. They say nasty things about people. They're rude to the other patients when they're waiting to pay in line or make a schedule an appointment. They're like, we gave him to you on purpose because you seem like you might be able to handle him a little bit. And they, they didn't know me from Adam except for like the few times I had walked in there because I was new. And boy, oh boy, Michael Max, this guy sounded a lot like a conversation you had. I think it might have been with Toby. It was a conversation about a patient you had that was so recalcitrant that when you asked him questions... He was so obtuse about it. He wouldn't answer your questions. And he was kind of like annoying you a little bit. And you were so polite about it in the podcast conversation. But I appreciate your honesty. This guy is the personification of like wood anger, mm-hmm. like the gallbladder, like not the soft, nice liver, not the general that knows what to do and gives you the energy to do it. No, it was like wood anger because I'm very woody. My mother's maiden name is Wood. 
people think is hilarious, but I'm a very much a wood element. But man, when I was in the presence of that person who's still a patient of mine a year and a half later, because I definitely figured out how to rein it in. So it's a pl- more of a pleasant experience for both of us. Mm-hmm. But whoa, when I saw that with him, all the things that one of our great foundations teachers mentioned about the wood element in that lecture we had that day, I saw myself in it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then when I met that person, I thought that's like the shadow. That's if I didn't rein in my crap and have a practice every day to take care of myself and manage my energy, that could be me. Like that guy could be my cousin. I mean, it was really, he's really, like I said, the shadow aspect of the wood element when you're not taking care of yourself and you're becoming really rigid and inflexible. And I don't know, there's a lot I could say about that patient, but it's been a huge teaching experience. Like my buddy, who's the spleen cheek damaged by over overthinking. This is where I think we have to be careful in our practice. We can learn a lot and we can be helpful to our patients and they can teach us. But this is also an area where we need to tread with caution and maybe get help from time to time because sometimes we really do see ourselves in our patients. Yeah. And our job is not to therapize ourselves or therapize them, but to take that recognition like, oh, yeah, that could be me. Oh, yeah, that behavior. Mm, I know something about that. Right on. I hear you. For me, what it was is that I totally can see what you're saying, like the whole projecting thing. What it was is a recognition. Oh, this is what can happen if you don't manage your energy very well. He's one of those guys, I'll put it in Huang Huang terms because I have your, you're the first book I, I bought that wasn't textbook, the Huang Huang translation of the 10 formula families. Mm-hmm. He's a picture in there. That patient has helped me a lot. He's a picture of, this is my version of it. It's not literally in the book. Chai Hu Shugo-san. Uh-huh. That's what I mean by it is like, I see it now and it becomes a caricature. Not that that patient's a caricature, but he helped me form a caricature of Who's Chaihu Shugo-san? I don't I do really well on Shayo-san. I don't even need it as much as I used to. But Chaihu Shugo-san, when I read the ingredients, I was like, I can't take that. That's not for me. But then when I met him after about five or six sessions, I'm like, this would be the perfect formula. My teacher was like, Yeah, they probably would benefit maybe for a couple weeks of this formula. That's what I meant. Yes. So this I would say is indicative that you're getting it. The medicine is getting into you. Oh. Okay? It's getting into you. I think we grow into it, and I think it grows into us. And we do, if we're lucky, Mm. run across patients like that one. He's kind of emblematic of a certain kind of person. He's emblematic of an element, certain aspects of an element. He's emblematic of a formula. He's like an archetype. There are... He's an archetype, that's right. There are archetypes out there. And and I think it's incumbent upon us in our experience of being practitioners to not take the archetypes that were given by our teachers. I mean, that can guide us. But in a sense, we need to create our own pantheon. It's like, oh yeah, that's Shao Chai Hutan. Oh, that's Shugan San. Oh, that's Shenling Baiju-san. I know that girl. Shenling Baiju-san. Yeah, that's her, right? Um, 
And I think it's really personal. I think we have our own images, our own feelings, our own sensibilities. Absolutely. So fun. It makes it fun, actually. And it's going to help me when I'm 20 years from now and I'm like hanging out, needling somebody because I do plan on doing this until I drop dead. And I know he's going to be in the back of my mind somewhere in like the old library, the dusty library in the card catalog, Dewey Decimal. Remember that? I do remember that. But I don't think these people are relegated to a dusty card catalog. I think these are living informative images. If it's an archetype, then we're talking about neurology a moment ago. It, it, it's in your heart. It's in your mind. Oh, absolutely. It's in your brain chemistry. You know how to recognize that kind of an energy. Right on. And serve, right? Yeah. I mean, the greatest lesson with this guy was they set me up. Like the front desk set me up like, this guy's crazy. He's a maniac. He he's swears, he, which doesn't scare me at all. That wasn't what scared me. It was the image they created. And then after, he's one of those guys that comes in every other week, maybe, and he'll say, I'm just here for maintenance. He's from New York. Mm. I'm just here for maintenance. And then I said, na- naively, <laughs> just being me, I said, maintaining what? Beautiful. Yes. Yes. Great question. I love it. Maintain what? And he just stared at me and said, what do you mean maintaining what? And I said, well, man, hey, out of all due respect, I don't know you yet. And you're not just a person off the street to me. You're not a file. I'm like, I have your file. You've been coming here for a while. And I came in early today and I read it. So I see all these things on the way people wrote things about you. And I see some medical stuff too. But why don't you tell me who you are so that I get to know you better? Because that's how this medicine is. And he was a little a little more receptive to that. I bet that stopped him in his tracks for a moment, didn't it? It did. He gave me some really kind of like a nasty look, actually. But I just kind of laughed and not laughed at him, but like, ha ah! Uh Let's move on. Uh Game on. But it's been really rich. I want to come back to sales again for a second. Nice. Because so many acupuncturists hate sales. I know. I mean, in terms of like running our business, like, oh my God. Yeah. What am I going to do? Am I going to ask for for them to pay me? (laughs) Of course you should get paid. But back to sales. Yeah. Again, I was saying often I, I find I have to help sell patients on themselves. Tender aspects of themselves that they're holding in bad esteem. That's right. There's, there's that piece. But the other piece is what you were talking about because you were doing this, you said, full contact sales. Oh, yeah. Full body contact sales. The thing that I have over the years come to appreciate about sales is that it is an activity that requires an open heart, an open mind, vivid presence in the moment to who is this person in front of me. The job is not to manipulate them into buying something. The job is to find out who are you, what do you need, and is there some way that I can help you with the stuff I got? Right on. That's my sense of it. And so I'd love to hear from you what you might say to some of your fellow students who are like, oh, sales, I hate that. Mm. How could you help friendly up the listeners a little bit to to sales. Both you and I think it's something important, but a lot of people in our profession mm-hmm. think it's getting their hands dirty or they're being manipulative. Asking for payment and selling, we'll make it concrete. Like let's say you're with a patient and you really see they can benefit from 
a product. I mean, we have pain patients all over the place, emotional pain patients all over the place, allergies down here year round. Like, how can you, the way I look at it is, how can I not offer something that I have confidence in? It could be a temporary solution, but how about provide some relief? How could I not? Oh, I'd feel like a dirt bag if I didn't mention to a patient, oh God, I really would. Where they lay down and they're like, oh my God, my sinuses are swelling. I can't, I can't, or my ears are swelling with flu. Again, they're year round allergies down here. Austin is a bear with its allergies. It's really bad. I feel like a jerk if I don't offer something. And because I'm in the clinic, hey man, not only am I not making a profit, but I'm paying this school to be here. So really, it's a great opportunity to see how much, just get some practice in showing that to the, that patient or that client, however you like to refer them, is I really believe in this. And if you feel icky about it, it's probably because you haven't had a job yet. And it's just, I think it's this simple. We haven't had a job and service yet where it was expected and okay. Person was coming in to buy something from you. They walked into the store. So I just say, remember, your patient is a precious jewel. And they're coming in to see if you're a precious jewel for them. And, and that's the matching of, I see you're suffering with sinus issues. What do you take for that? And they'll say Claritin, Zyrtec. Okay, does that work well for you? Now, if they say it works great, I just leave it alone. If they say it, I get dry mouthed and my eyes get really dry, I just let them know, hey, there's kind of like a Claritin version of that we have here by this company. They sell very, very high quality, beautiful herbs. But you can literally pop them like a Claritin once a day or twice a day and just see if it helps with your allergies and it won't dry your mouth out. It shouldn't dry your mouth out. And if it does, you got to let me know. But if you want to try that, you let me know. It's going to cost about, it'll put you down about 25 bucks for two weeks. So if it's worth it to you, let me know. I'm happy to get that for you. 50% of the time they'll say sure. And they smile like, I've been wanting to try natural medicine, but I go to the store and there's so many options and I don't know what to get. So thank you for suggesting something. You fulfill the service. So one of my favorite herbs is futsa. <laughs> right on. And it's one of my favorite herbs because if you need to use futsa, you need to use futsa. You can't push your foot around. From what I understand, yeah. And choosing not to use Futsa when you should be using Futsa, that's a clinical error. And it sounds like this the same with sales, to not offer somebody that might help their suffering when you have the capability of being helpful. That's like not using enough Futsa when you should be using some damn Futsa. Yeah. How about just taking the AD? There's some... People have become close friends with school. It's like a little hive there. You make a couple of friends if you're lucky. And some of them are really struggling from the get-go. The paradigm for getting into private practice for them is they got to find a way of making this super cheap to the public. And hey, man, we have some quality community clinics here. I volunteered for one way before acupuncture school. I saw a high-quality experience 
And that acupuncturist was making bank. I mean, after three to five years of investment of like nail biting, am I going to get this to work? But she retired. Mm -hmm. She sold her business. She did really well offering an affordable service. But the model was that to eight to 10 chairs, that's a lot of work and it's a lot of bending down and it's a lot of, if that's how you want to practice, you may do really well with that. But the psychology of that is, well, I'm only asking for 35 bucks, but you asked for 35 bucks times 10 and you're ro- you're rotating those people in and out of there pretty quickly. You're making a lot of money. So I hope those people don't feel bad. You know, it's just a, it's math. It's like, well, I can only see two or three people at a time or maybe I only want to do one person at a time. And if you offer them that quality of service, they're never going to get that in a conventional model. I mean, that's why people are going in droves to functional medicine doctors because they're sick, they're not getting any solutions. And then I say to my fellow peers, do you know how much it costs to go to a functional medicine provider? Crazy big money. Hundreds of dollars. Hundreds of dollars. Do you know why so many people are going to functional medicine doctors and why so many acupuncturists are starting to study it? Because of supplement sales, I'm guessing. This is going to be inflammatory as hell because we don't understand our own medicine. Well, I imagine that's part of it. Yeah. I don't think we understand our own medicine very well. If we really understood our medicine, and it takes a long time to understand it too. Right. It's like, why would you go to four years of school, try making as a practitioner for a few years? Right. And they're like, I'm going to go to this other whole school and, and do this other thing. In our discussion that we had with some messages back and forth, we were talking about challenges of the profession. Oh, yeah. And challenges of being a student, challenges of being a practitioner. And one of the things that I found about Chinese medicine is that, number one, it can do amazing things, but it takes a long damn time. That's the frustrating part, to be honest. It is frustrating. Because I got to charge people and have confidence that I'm at least giving them a modicum of acceptable service and have them like it enough that they're willing to do referrals you know what I mean? So there's not many kinds of things in medicine where I'm going to pay a lot of money and not really sure that my knee surgery, my hip surgery, I mean, it's fraught, right? It's fraught. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 
to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Well, people are looking for results, and they actually don't give a shit about acupuncture. And they don't care about herbs. They just want to feel better. I mean, people like to say they like to go to their acupuncturist. Maybe. I don't know. I think, in my experience, people just want to feel better. Sure. And if we can help them feel better, well, they tell their friends and eventually a practice builds. But I want to come back to why I think it takes so long to learn this. Yeah, please do. Because help doesn't take forever because I want to make a living so I can help people. It doesn't take forever and you already know sales, so you're going to do fine. Because an important piece of it is how you are with people. Of course, people want results. And you have to get that. But the other piece is if people see, if they feel seen, if they feel heard, if they feel comfortable, if they have a sense of trust and you're getting results, of course they're going to see you. But back to why I think it takes so long. I've been at this game for 20 plus years to the point where I can't remember how many years. I've I've been in this like plus 20 and under 25. I can't remember anymore. Ugh, age. I thought I would know a lot more about Chinese medicine at this point. I really thought I'd know a lot more than I do. Do you have a forte? Just something that you really like to do that you you are good at? I I mean, I just, I'm curious. I'm not saying that I'm not good. I'm just saying I thought I'd understand it all better at this point. The other thing is, I've learned way more about medicine than I ever thought I'd learn as well. Both these things are true. There is that piece that the more you learn, the more you realize, oh, man, there's a lot I don't know. Oh, God, yeah. So there's always that. And I think it's important to cut this line, so to speak, so we're not like narcissistic, like, oh, I know this shit and y'all should come to me. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And then the other side is, well, I don't know anything. Why would anybody come to see me? No. Oh, God, no. So, no. As a student, I'll tell you right now, because I got to ask you this question. Yeah. So- when you're, I'll start off by saying, I already know what I'm good at. And I'm not talking about like every time that person comes in with that problem. I mean, like I have a certain level of confidence around two things, mm. just two. When you were in school by, when you were done with your clinical stuff, did you feel very comfortable with one or two things? And I'm not talking about getting immediate results like yeah. in one session, but maybe an improvement after one session. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's why I say to my fellow students, like, hey, man, don't worry if internal medicine is like really confusing you right now. Maybe you're really good at neck and back pain. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're really good at setting the tone for a patient where they actually come in. They came in the building a a mess. Like people were like, they can't even like find their wallet. They're like, I left my wallet in the car and I'm just, their head is like nowhere. Their head's somewhere, but they're completely disembodied. That's what I see mm-hmm. all the time. Disembodiment everywhere. And they walk out of there very tame and very calm. And I say that to my fellow students. If you notice that, okay, you're onto something. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Review the mother, like my wrist feels better. I have a little more mobility. Keep going, go there and keep going. Yes. It's not an ego victory. It's a win win that you did something right. Pay attention because maybe it won't work. 
I think it's important to pay attention to what works. Not in the way of I'm talking people into it. Look, see, it works. Isn't that cool? But just like, oh, it works. Oh, your wrist is better. Okay, good. How do you know it's better? Well, I can open up a peanut butter jar now. Okay, great. It, it, you know, it really helps to kind of anchor a person's experience. And it helps me as a practitioner to know how specifically it's better. Because if someone just says, oh, my wrist is better, that means nothing to me. Not helpful. How is it better? That's helpful. It's not waking me up in the middle of the night anymore when I roll on it. Exactly. It's like, okay, great. We're making progress. But back to your other thing about what do you do when you first get out? And yes, because yeah, you learn a hell of a lot in your first five years. Holy smokes. That's why so many people wash out. Yeah. Don't be nervous. You'll be fine. In fact, all y'all listening, you'll be fine. You just have to keep going. You have to keep at it. And if you don't understand what's going on with someone, well, you just need to like crack a book and double down on it. I had a conversation with Steve Clavey maybe a year or so ago. We were talking about his, uh, the reprint of his Fluid Physiology and Pathology, truly one of the great books on, on Chinese herbal medicine. And we were talking, I can't remember if it was in the podcast or if it was after the podcast. And he was talking about like stages of being a practitioner. When you first get out of school, um, there's actually a lot of information in your head that you're not going to have in five years because you've just, you've been in the school environment and in some ways you're never going to be smarter. It's fresh. Yeah. Right. Condensed, fresh encyclopedias walking around with legs. Yeah. And trying to figure out how do I apply this? Right. That's mm-hmm. the other piece. But one of the things that, that he talked about is often people in that position, fresh out of school, they'll take more time with their patients. And there's a certain kind of person who likes being paid attention to. They're happy to sit there. And if you give them an extra 15 minutes, they're thrilled. They like that. And so often they'll end up seeing newer practitioners. They gravitate to newer practitioners because newer practitioners have this kind of openness to that kind of exploration. As you get your archetypes down, as you get your chops down, as you understand, like someone walks in and and you notice how they're walking, you go, I already know what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to sit and talk to them for five minutes just to rule out and try to disprove my idea, but otherwise I know what I'm doing. We get to that point. Someone walks in, you look at him, you go, that's Mr. Chai Hu Shugan-san, okay? We get to that point, we don't need an hour with a patient. We don't need a half hour with a patient. 15 minutes, I'm ready to do a treatment. Let's get on it. Wasn't that your experience when you were getting acupuncture? When you were before you became a student even, didn't somebody just ask you a question? Like, do you sigh or something like that? Yes. And they're yes. like, get on the table. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This guy who was from China, he'd been a doctor in China forever, but he was looking to get a license in the States. He asked me one question. Do you sigh a lot? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. And he just sat back while the other student asked me another, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. It's hilarious. What happens is as we mature as practitioners and we need less time with people, we start attracting the kind of people. They don't want to spend an hour in our clinic. They've got a busy life. They want to get in. They want to get treated. They want to get out. That sounds like heaven to me, by the way. Doesn't it? It does. I love listening to people, but... I love the idea of like, oh, we only have an hour? Shucks. I'll see you next time. 
See you next time. I'm like, that's the part about sales that's been really helpful is one thing about I noticed with a lot of students is this, they let the patient manage their time. So they go over. Oh, not good. You'll be exhausted at the end of the day. First term, I did it with one or two patients. And after that, I immediately like got caught to it. Like, oh, okay, wait, I'm letting them run the show instead of me running the show. And that, you know, that's just for respect. That's respect of the next patient. And it's respect for your teacher. It's respect for the front desk staff. So. So tell me how you run the show. What do you do? Well, I do have a lot of patients that really clearly need to be heard and they really need to be listened to. And they will talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And if if you're not careful, 20 minutes, 25 minutes slips by and you're new and you need you need more than 20 minutes, you might need that amount of time to put the needles in because that's what happens when you're in school and that's okay. But what you do is, first of all, before you open your mouth and interrupt the person, because sometimes you have to. Mm-hmm. I have patience. I have to interrupt. And I was brought up like, you don't interrupt people. That's rude. Well, I don't actively get involved there because that's part of active listening. Man, it's I'm going to be really uptight. My stomach is going to be in knots or I'll get a headache or I'll just my mind will be somewhere else because I'm like, oh, my God, this person. Ah, crazy. So what I do is I I don't know if this is taboo to you, Michael, but I use my hands a lot. Mm. I will reach over. Unless I've gotten some weird spidey sense that this is like really not a good idea, but that's like one out of a million for me. I'll just place my hand on their forearm and say, I'm so glad you came in today. Do you mind if I take your tongue and pulse? Do you mind if we, I make a note of where we ended with this conversation and we, we started up maybe on the table, restart on the table or maybe the next appointment. I'd really love to be able to treat you today. And I, I sense that you have a lot that you need to get off your chest, but how do you feel about that? And most of the time they just apologize or they might look a little injured and I'll say, let's just get on you on the table then. And then you can continue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then what, what happened was after about three months of that, then it just turned into being able to detect that right out of the gate. They're talking in the hallway before I even get into the treatment room with them. Cause I, I go greet them and I bring them in. They're already like talking. And I'm like, well, let's hold this private information here. Let's talk about this in the treatment room. I get them in there. They sit down. They start. They're not talking like, hey, you know, hey, Jessica, how are you? It's like, hey, Jessica, how are you? So it starts. <clears throat> and now I feel what I just, I feel very comfortable just saying, this sounds great. Can I just pause for a minute? I want to get you on the table. And that might involve like the gown and blah, 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 all that stuff. But I say, do you mind if we pause a moment? I just want to get you on the table. Then you can continue. Because what happens is after about a minute where I, I put in certain needles in those people, it's nothing magical. It's something that I just learned in school. Like just put in these needles. Yeah, they calm down. Or they, 50% of the time they fall asleep, which is a, an indication to me as a practitioner that this person is burning the candle a little too close the wick too close to the candle. Maybe they're a little bit yin deficient with some floating yang or something or that kind of thing. I'll end up noting it like <clears throat> this person has a hard time tempering their conversation. It's not a judgment. It's just like observation. It could be loneliness. It could be they're caffeinated. This whole town is over caffeinated and it drives me batshit, to be honest with you. 
there's just way too much caffeine going on in Austin. It's worshipped. Caffeine is a worshipped thing next to alcohol here. So it's like, I just noticed that, that it's okay to step in and politely assert yourself. And you just got to remind them, like, I am really here for you, but I'd love to get you on the table. Then you can continue. We'll continue the conversation. And you can kind of take charge with the needles. (laughs) I love it. Is that okay? I wouldn't ask him if it was okay. I would just... No, for you. I mean, I'm I'm asking you for your feedback. Like, does that sound sensible to you? To me, it's sensible. Totally sensible. And I love the piece in particular. You kind of pause, you reach over, you touch their forearm. Yeah. That kind of a, a slight interrupt and that kind of a going from talking to sensing. Yes. I think it's really helpful. I do that all the time. It's why you get them on the table, you look at their tongue. You feel their pulses. Maybe you listen to some other rhythms in the body. You got your hands on them. Now we're talking at a different level. Which is my favorite level to be at. There you go. Once again on the table, I'm a happy girl. I'm like, oh, pulses, yes. (laughs) You know, one of the things I'm taking from this conversation, Jessica, is that difference between the mentation and, and the mental aspect, which I happen to love. I do. But what's really helpful to me in clinic more than anything is that sensing feeling piece. Again, using some caution to make sure I'm not projecting something or or making things up. Checking in all the time. Using it as a sense organ. Yes. It doesn't tire me out the same way that mental work does. Right on. That's good. Really important. I think one of them is yin and one of them is yang. And I think the receptive part, well, anyway, it just feeds your essence so that you got some energy at the end of the day. Do we all want a little more energy, right? Well, and I'm thinking too what you said earlier in the conversation that you could have a clinical day and walk away with more energy. I'm going to guess that happens sometimes for practitioners and I'm going to guess that it can be, it's like a work day. Mm Mm-hmm. How much more, how many work days have you had before Chinese medicine school? You'll learn, like, even if you really like your job, there's some days you're like, whew, I don't know what happened there, but I'm glad that day is over. And it's okay. Reflect, mm-hmm. have a cup of tea or eat a good meal. And like the Buddhists say, crap it out the next day and move on. Come back at it again the next time. <laughs> yeah. I have found, you know, you were talking earlier too about 80-20. And this has been a lesson that, that's been a long time learned that some people come in and they just don't have that much energy to put out or they're held in reserve. Mm. I feel like they show up, I'm going to say 10%. A patient? Yeah, a patient. They'll be like giving me 10% of what I need to work with. They're just, they're like, I feel like I need to get in there and dig it out to be able to help them. Yeah. And I used to do that. It'd be like, oh, they're showing up with 10% of their energy. I used to go in with 90% to make up that difference. I would be exhausted and I wasn't helpful. What do you do now? I kind of want to like put you in the hot seat on that. Yeah, put me on the hot seat. So here's what I do and I found it to be really helpful. I look for an energetic match. They're showing up with 10%. I'm going to show up with 15-ish percent. It's not that I'm holding back like, oh, you're holding back on me. I'm going to hold back on you. It's not that. It's just they're coming forward with a certain amount of chi. Yep. If I come out with more than what they're roughly putting out, 
they're probably going to withdraw even more. Sometimes there just needs to be a space in between people, and you just have to recognize there's a space. I'd be as attentive as I can. It's like hanging around with cats. You can't go grab a cat. You got you to let a cat come to you. And if you quiet down in a certain way, certain cats will come to you. Other cats are not going to come close. Forget it. It's the perfect metaphor. But if you quiet yourself a bit, <laughs> and then sometimes people will they'll come out a little bit more. Maybe they need to develop some trust with you. That's right. Right? And so I look for that energetic match where I don't feel like I'm overstepping. And I'm looking for signs that they're not retreating. Can I ask you a question? Sure. In those instances where, let's just say it this way, there could be a myriad of reasons that person is quiet. Mm-hmm. None of my damn business. But I'll tell you this. Well, I want to ask you this. Mm. Don't you think that if you match their energy and then you get them on the table, I know that's the running theme for me. I do like getting people on the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's our domain, baby. That is our domain. Mm -hmm. But don't you think that because it is an exchange between one human and another human, which is why our medicine is so precious compared to other forms of medicine currently being practiced, we are touching people. Mm-hmm. It's not icky. I'm putting a hand on a spleen channel and I'm palpating. But don't you think with that instance, in that kind of situation, the needles are like, they're a vessel between the two of you. And and oftentimes people that are super quiet or reserved or whatever the word we want to describe, the needles will help them or help me or help the situation. There's somebody, they'll say something. And then you could just, mm-hmm. Or, oh, thank you. I'm glad you asked that. Or it kicked, it just is nice, this soft, it can be this very nice energy where you're like, wow, I got rejuvenated by that. Yes. I think getting the right needles in the right place. And you do that without getting the feedback, right? Because they didn't talk. Much. No, but we get feedback. Because even if they're not being verbal or they're being withdrawn or whatever, you can look at the complexion of the face, you can feel the pulse, you can look at the tongue. Whatever markers that you use for understanding what's happening in that space of sensing will work, and you can rely on those to guide the treatment. You don't need to use your mentation. In terms of the needles being a vessel between us and our patient, yes, to some degree, but I think more importantly, I think vitally importantly, it is a vessel for them to be in touch with themselves. themselves yeah and i like to leave me out of it as much as possible yes i think that's extraordinarily mature and really really oftentimes ungrockable to a beginner maybe massage people understand this or old school osteopaths the only reason i understand that and this might be like a nice full circle for us mm. is the only reason I get that is from my prior experience in my life around work, around relationships. Like, wow, whenever I gave out more than what was warranted at that moment or warranted in this exchange, the more I tried to overdo it, mm-hmm. it didn't work. I just got drained and then I became resentful. And I could see that happening with any kind of profession where you're the goods. Mm-hmm. 
you're it. And so I just say to, to my peers, kind of sounds corny, but work on liking aspects of yourself. Maybe work on why would I want to come to me and really put yourself out there like, gosh, darn it, I'm a nice person. Well, maybe you are. Mm-hmm. That's an asset. Or, you know, I'm really great at keeping a schedule and I'm very prompt and I will never disrespect somebody's time. Fabulous. Find something about your, there's a lot of self-doubt and a lot of negative talk. You know, maybe it's just the way the pandemic has affected student life. I, I don't want to put my finger on it, but what I will say is there's a lot of people that their self-worth is frighteningly lacking. And I'm hoping that the grueling, you got through school, man. If you get through Chinese medicine school, dude, you can get through a lot of things in life. Yes. It's not for the weary. It's not for the meek of heart. And I'll say this as well. And, and again, experience painfully gained. If we are looking for our patients or the results of our treatments to boost our self-esteem, no bueno. No bueno. That's not going to help you. You're not, you're not going to get it. And it's not good for your patients. That's a burden on your patients that they do not deserve. Our job is to help hook them up with themselves. We're there to be as present as we can be because that's helpful. But their healing is their healing. People say this to me all the time. You got rid of my back pain. It's like, no, I didn't. You did. You got rid of your back pain. Yeah, I get that. I had experience directly with that where I thought, oh, yeah, we did something. And I did say to them, like, well, I'm glad that helped. But I, I did say, that means your body knows how to heal. So if you feel something weird and craggly coming up again, you can come in before it becomes really painful and then we can really help your body. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you started saying that years and years ago before Geological, the other podcast you had. I was listening to that too. Oh my God, you've been listening for a long time. Yeah, I think maybe I started before school. And anyway, to your point, you really, a student really needs to ask themselves, like, what do I really like about myself? And don't worry, it's not an ego question. It's like, you really need to like certain parts of yourself so that you don't censor or you're not ashamed of it or something like your quirkiness. Maybe you're really quirky and funny. Things are so freaking serious right now, Michael. I just have to say, school is so serious. My peers are so serious. There's so much drama. And I love when I walk past a, a room, a treatment room, and I hear some giggling or laughing going on with between a patient and an intern. And I think, oh, they're going to do fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But I, I just think, oh, it's so nice to just, if that's a part of you and you like to laugh, and I'm overly serious at times and I'm learning man, laughter really works and it's good medicine and it can really break up a awkward interaction that's going on with the patient. Appropriate laughter and you got to kind of have a little life experience to understand what that means. But you're never laughing at somebody who's in pain, but something comes up and it just feels a little weird and you said something and maybe you tripped over your words. Just laugh if you feel comfortable laughing and yeah, just learn to look at yourself and see that you're worth it. As a practitioner, you're worth that X amount of dollars in your session. Like you're a person doing something. You're a mechanic. I kind of take a, I'm a tradesmith with this work. Mm, Tradesmith. I love that word. 
I'm a journey. I'm one day I would have become a journeyman, but I'm a tradesmith. I oh, I love it. I'm totally stealing that. Dude, I'm taking everything I learned from the, my past of working with my hands and and then trying to get away from that and and doing a lot of intellectual work when I was working in a laboratory for a while. And then I why I left the laboratory was my God, I've got to get back in the world. Like, should I grow food? Should I be a farmer? Like, what should I do? And and that's acupuncture is like man, you get to do mental work. But if you want to kind of like in your day job when you're treating patients, make it more of a trade, I think. And then at the fireside at night with the cup of tea, if you're that kind of person, then do all the reading and the case studies and la, 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 la. That's how I kind of see myself, my future elderly, elder practitioner person, tradesman by day, reader at night for me personally. And you'll get to be an elderly practitioner as a tradesmith. Nice. I like that. I have been noodling on this idea of trying to be a good journeyman or journeywoman. I like the word tradesmith better. I like that even better. Yeah, tradesmith is great. I have found there is a sort of fetishization that we have of, I'm using air quotes here, the masters, and we're supposed to be like masters. Yeah. I'm not interested in that job because I also want to be a husband and a father and I want to be able to play some music and I want to be able to write and there's other things that I want to do. I don't want to be doing medicine all the time. And I like a life that's pleasant and often to become really masterful at something, you've got to go through horrible times like Zhang Zhongjing. I hope I do not have to live through this. I mean, pandemic is is challenging us. But if I have my druthers, I'd rather not live through a time where I'm forced to become a master. I'm totally happy to be a good tradesmith. Good at what I do. Capable of doing quality work. I know my tools and I can use them well and be of service. That's enough. That's right. You know? It's not only... Good, but there used to be a saying that's out of reach for the newer generation, so I'll reintroduce it if I can. Mm. Good is good enough. Good is good enough. <laughs> that's not a slag on like trying to be exceptional, but may I remind all the snowflakes out there, we're all exceptional, but we're all snowflakes. Like good. If you just I don't even like when I hear people say, You gotta put it on, you know, as long as you just do your best. And I think have you ever woken up every day and felt the same? I haven't. I don't feel my best every day. So you're getting back to that 10%, 20%. I'm a human being. So you got to take care of yourself. If you're going to be a tradesmith and your craft you're choosing is to meet people and be on your feet and treat people with this physical some aspects of the medicine are very physical. We do a tween at our school. Tween and you do your cupping, you do your gua sha, whatever, moxa. And I just look at it like I don't have to, to be my best. I just have to kind of acknowledge where I'm at that moment. And whatever I'm doing, I just focus on it with the best of intention. And you know what? Most of the time it turns out all right. I didn't talk myself out of like, I better, I can't do this today. I got to call in or I can't, you know, you don't have to be your best because if you feel like you have to be your best, you're not going to show up like three out of 10 days to your job. So you know what separates 
a professional from an amateur? No. Professional shows up every day. Amateurs show up when they feel like it. Mm-hmm. Show up. Show up. Do the work. And good is good enough. And you know what? Some days you're good is going to be different than the good of other days. There's days where you can't do wrong. It's just like, man. We're like, whoa, this medicine works. Woohoo. And then there's days where I'm going to do the best I can and do no harm. I'm going to make sure I get every single needle out of that person so they don't walk <laughs> out of here with a needle in their skull. That's a good accomplishment for today. It's helpful. Just kidding. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, there are days where I think, okay, the idea, what I need to do today is meet my patients, do the best I can with what I got, and the tank's a little empty. Yeah. And I can't phone this in. I can't say, hey, I'm just not up for it. You can't do that. You're the pro. You got to do what you can with what you got. I mean, this leads into a whole other discussion, and maybe we can have that another time. Sure. Of what it means to be a professional, what it means to be a pro. There's, uh, do you know who Steve Pressfield is? No. You familiar with Steve Pressfield? Oh, so Steve Pressfield wrote a fantastic book called The War of Art. Not The Art of War. Nice. The War of Art. Wait, you mentioned this in a podcast. Of course, I've mentioned it all kinds of times. I've mentioned it many times because it's my favoritest book. Ah. Whenever I'm not quite sure where to turn, I just open it up and read it. That sounds like a good recommendation for... War of Art is helpful. And then, but the other one, since we're talking about being a professional and we're talking about being a tradesmith, he wrote another one very similar called Do the Work. Do the Work. And I think all y'all listening out there will find that helpful. Work is a place of refuge, you know. It can be a place of refuge when you're not at your best. That's what I've come to learn. Well, work is a place of refuge, and work is a sacred space. For both of us. Well, I'm sure there's plenty more we can talk about, but I think we're going to have to do it another day. Sure. I mean, yeah, I know. We can just chat forever. Anything else that needs to be said before we wind it down for now? No, just go easy on yourselves, people, in this trying time and and just try to adapt and remember that a lack of imagination is like a it's like a tea bag without hot water. Don't get too information overloaded. You need to spark the imagination once in a while. I think that's what's gonna get us through. You gotta be irrational once in a while in the artistic sense of the word. That's all I have to say. I, I'm saying that for myself too. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to the next time. Me too. Thanks, Michael. One of the things that came up in this conversation that I think is particularly pertinent to this moment is how we assess and use our energy. If we are putting out more than bringing in, especially in relationship to other people. As professionals in the healing trade, it's an occupational hazard to overextend ourselves emotionally and physically. Too often we take pride in our air quotes here, caring. That's actually not so helpful for patients as it robs them of the opportunity to step up and take care of themselves. And the side effects of overextending ourselves will over time 
prevent us from doing our work, if we can't find a way to live in harmony with the natural give-and-take flow that all healthy ecosystems embody. This two years of COVID has been quite an initiation, and not that everybody gets a trophy kind of challenge, but more like what deadwood that no longer serves you has been trimmed away sort of challenge. As ever, I hope that you have found today's conversation to be helpful and to illuminate something in you that you hadn't realized previously about the medicine that we practice. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. <laughs>